Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. This episode is sponsored by Caroline Fleur. She wrote the book Destiny and Other Dilemmas. You can find it on Amazon in Kindle format and paperback format. Here is the blurb. Brooke Stern seemed to have the perfect life until she didn't. After an unexpected turn of events that shook her marriage of 15 years, she must navigate her new normal as a single independent woman. Juggling her son's food allergies, her demanding career, and growing interest in a mysterious man, she's determined to restart her life and find a clear path ahead. When she finally reclaims her courage, she is confronted with the harsh consequences of her choices. Any step forward is a potential risk as she tries to make the best decisions for herself and the future of her family. That is, if destiny doesn't step in and decide for her. Based on that... I think I need to own that book as well. Um, I will include a link to the Amazon so that you can purchase this book and support the author just as the author has chosen to support this podcast. Thank you, Caroline. And thank you, Chris. Uh, You can find her book in the show notes as well. Thank you both for supporting the Piggy Bookworm. Hey, everybody. I am here with Deborah Klee. She is another podcaster that I had the honor of meeting on Twitter. Um, most of my guests actually come from Twitter, but um, that's perfectly fine. Um, I am totally okay with that. But she is another podcaster. She is a bookworm just like me and just like a lot of us. And we are going to have fun talking about books and all that super fun stuff. So grab a glass of wine, grab a cup of tea, whatever's your jam, and we will get started. Thanks, guys. Hi, Deborah. Hello, Pamela. Nice to meet you. It is nice to meet you, too. I am so sorry. My, I'm recording in my living room, and my cats are, like, all over me today. I am not sure what their deal is, but I am so sorry if it makes a lot of extra noise it, it shouldn't, we should be okay. Okay. So I have not actually talked to you very much. Um, I have listened to a couple episodes of your podcast. Super fun. You get to talk to all kinds of different authors and interview them. And that is fantastic. What got you started podcasting? I, all this last year, I suppose the last 18 months, it actually from when the pandemic started, I guess, I, my world has changed because at the beginning of 1999, I had an agent for my debut and I was about to go out, my debut had been out on submission with a top agent and um, we couldn't find a home for my debut, which is The Borrowed Boy. And therefore I decided to self-publish. So once I decided to self-publish, 
I went into the interesting world of social media and looked at things that I might do to get myself out there. And it was the best thing that I did. I've had such a wonderful journey because in the last 18 months, The Borrowed Boy came out on the 1st of August. My next novel, Just Be, came out the following year on the 1st of February. I started Castaway Books in January last year, no, this year, this year. Um, I started Friday Salon, which um, people on Twitter might be familiar with. It's a tweet chat every Friday. And I started um, a blog, which I've kept up every week since I started 18 months ago. So all of those things happened. I hadn't really been on social media hardly at all until then. So I had an absolute baptism by fire. I've had a wonderful time. I've met amazing people. I've learned, gosh, so many new skills. It's incredible. And um, recently I retired from my job to become full-time author, finally. So it has been a journey since the pandemic started. (laughs) You know, I, there, you know, the pandemic has been just, it's been insane. It's, it's been intense and it's been really tough on a lot of people. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, people like you and people like me who have looked at the pandemic as, you know, okay, well, we've been on lockdown and we've been on quarantines and we've been stuck in our homes and let's find a way to make this time productive, you know, rather than just sitting around and watching TV, you know, and I love that. You know, I, I love the fact that there are, you know, and there are so many authors that I've met since I joined Twitter that they're like, yeah, I didn't start writing until the pandemic hit. You know, I didn't have time. And then once I had time, it was like, you know, I had all of this extra time and, you know, why not write a book? And I just, I think that's amazing that you have taken something that has been so hard on a lot of people in the world and have managed to make it something productive and something positive and you you've put something out there in the world um so yeah i i admire you for that thank you i think it's being different for people different circumstances and i appreciate i'm in a privileged position um i live by the sea i've got a garden a good size comfortable size home um children have left home but I really feel for people who have had to have had their jobs at risk, their business at risk, who've been at homeschooling, who have mental health problems, people who have unhappy relationships with their partner. People have so many different situations. Um, and and as they used to say in the Second World War, it was been a good war for me. My circumstances, it's been, I suppose, like a, a good war because I haven't had to suffer all of those yeah. That, that situation so it's so different for everybody and my heart goes out to people who've really struggled um especially with mental health it's very difficult but okay. it, it has been good for me and I've, I've had really appreciated living by the sea because within three minutes four minutes walk I'm walking along with my feet in the surf and <laughs> you know that's, that's a great so awesome yeah of the spirit yeah my you know my husband and I have have felt so blessed over the past year and a half 
and, you know, that we've been able to keep our jobs and that we've been able to, you know, continue to thrive in, in such a horrible situation. And I tell people, I do not take it for granted at all whatsoever. I feel incredibly blessed because I know there are people that have suffered and that have had, you know, these really horrible things happen to them because of this tiny little virus. It's this, you know, this big and, you know, so yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I, I feel for those people that are, are in bad situations and, um, it's, you know, and I, and I pray for them all the time. So, um, yeah. Okay. Positive subject. (laughs) We got really serious really quick. So let's move on. Um, Okay, so how many books have you written? Actually, written is different to published. (laughs) I've written four books. Some of them I've written from scratch all over again. Um, I've had two published. And interestingly, the one that I've just completed and is out at the moment with agents is the very first one I wrote. I wrote it... Absolutely, the first one I wrote. And the reason that I decided to rewrite it was because when I wrote it several years ago, um, a wonderful agent said to me, um, love this, but could, you know, you need, she gave me about four or five pages of notes. Well, I was completely new at writing. Um, I didn't understand that when an agent sends you pages and pages of notes, it means they like it and they're asking you to rework it and resubmit it. So I thought, oh, well, that means it's rubbish. So I cast it to one side. I wrote my next novel and sent it to her. And she said, yes, but I can't like the first one. No, it doesn't really work it. Then I sent her my third novel, <laughs> my fourth novel. And she didn't sign me. And it was, and so I had discarded that one some time back. So anyway, that first novel I wrote also won me a novel writing competition with um, a creative writing MA person from a university and gave me an online novel writing course. So I thought, well, that novel must have been worth resurrecting. But I started rewriting it last October and I decided to start with a completely clean sheet of paper, keep the premise, keep the characters, but start afresh because I'd learned so much since then. So I rewrote it and have sent it out there again. <laughs> okay. Um so you mentioned that your first book uh, that you have published is The Forgotten Boy. What is the that? Borrowed the Borrowed Boy. Boy. I am so sorry. The Borrowed Boy. Right. Can you tell us um, what that's about? <laughs> I hate it when someone says, what, what's the book about? Oh, no. <laughs> you just want to read the blurb because it spent you so long trying to condense oh, so it down. You, if, you have, if you have it available, read the blurb. I'm totally fine with that. Read the, read read the, the blurb. blurb. It's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I will read the <laughs> this is this the blurb that you have on the Amazon? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Here's my book. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Read away. Can't see it on podcast, but I waved. I waved it at Pamela. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. It's 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 women's fiction, but I hate that term, women's fiction. It's relationship drama. Women's fiction implies it's only suitable for women to read, and lots of men have read it and enjoyed it. So. Okay. Down with the, down with that phrase. Um, I love women's <laughs> fiction, but it should be called <laughs> should be called human fiction. Human fiction. 
relationship drama. <laughs> okay. A borrowed boy, a borrowed name, and living on borrowed time. What do you put on a bucket list when you haven't done anything with your life? No interesting job, no lovers, no family, no friends. Believing she only has weeks left to live, Angie Winkle vows to make the most of every minute. Going back to Jaywick Sands is top of her bucket list. Experiencing life as a grandmother is not, but the universe has other plans. And when four-year-old Danny is separated from his mum on the tube, Angie goes to his rescue. She tries to return to his mum, but things do not go exactly as planned, and the two of them embark on a life-changing journey. It's set in Jaywick Sands, which is an idyllic Essex holiday village in the 70s, but now it's a shanty town of displaced Londoners. It's a, it's a real place in Essex. And the story is about hidden communities and our need to belong. So the interesting thing is Jaywick is one of the most socially deprived, I think it is the most socially deprived um, place in England. And Donald Trump used images of Jaywick Sands in his campaign years ago to say we don't want to end up with America like this. There was absolute outrage from Jaywick. Well, yeah. Yeah, but you see, Jaywick, when it was set up, it's really interesting history. It's very close to where I live. When it was set up, it was originally for, um, there would be land that was not being used in different parts of England. And there was this scheme that people could make up homes for holidays using whatever they wanted to. So there was no planning restrictions or anything. This was going back, I can't remember what it was, 30s or something, 40s. So lots of the people who worked in Ford's factory in Dagenham, which is in the East End, which isn't that far from um, Jaywick, they would use all sort of um, crates and things from um, the factories and they would build these um, temporary homes because they were just for holidays. So there was no sanitation. There were like little um, cute sort of makeshift kind of toilets and things, no sanitation, but you could build it from packing cases or anything. So this sort of holiday village grew up and then they became much more established homes, you know, made from all sorts of equipment and things. But then over the years, with, when the war came, the EastEnders moved in to use these holiday homes because their homes were being bombed. And then they became much more, um, you know, they, they worked on them, they became much more established as homes, like little chalets, holiday chalets. But they still didn't have all of the building regulations, they didn't have proper sanitation. So these places sprung up all over England, and all of them, when I did my research, all of them really, except for Jaywick, disappeared because the councils all got rid of them. But the residents of Baywick were determined they weren't going to get rid of them because they'd all left their East London homes and they wanted to live there. So they carried on fighting the council to stay in these, this place. And um, over the years, actually, Jay, Tendring Council have done lots of improvements and it's much improved. They've got sanitation and it's much better than it was. But it has this history and it still has a feeling of, as it was. It's um, a very strange place to walk through. Very strange. <laughs> it, sounds anyway. like, it sounds like it would be really interesting to live there, though. Well, <clears throat> what made one write about it is because I live in a much more affluent area and lots of people have, um, I know people who have been moved out of jailwork by social services, social housing, and they've been put into homes in different areas. 
and anybody who's been Delft Daywick says that they miss Jaywick because it had such a strong community feel to it, very, very close community. And I think it's because over the decades um, and generations, they've come together to fight against the council um, and to fight for their rights, and they've become much more close and knit as a community. There is um, a reputation for having lots of people who are sort of criminals or a bit shady. And there was a true story that influenced one of the characters in my book. A friend of mine works for Welfare Benefits and she was going in and out of Jaywick. And she said there was a man there with a, with a shotgun who used to be a bit of a gangster, an elderly man. And they had to do risk assessments before they could go into his home because of his loaded gun. <laughs> So there's all sorts of stories like that with wonderful characters. So my, my novel um, has drawn on all of those characters. It's a very close-knit community. So when Angie Winkle takes this little boy and hides out there, the community sort of come in together and sort of close around her. So it's a really good place to hide out. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I have decided a long time ago that my TBR is just never going to forgive me. Uh, <laughs> I am constantly, <clears throat> I am constantly adding new books to my TBR and I, I'm not sure I'm ever going to read them all, but I, I love them and I, I want them. So I'm going to have them. Um, and this, your book sounds really interesting. So I may have to, I may have to hunt that one down as well. Um, won't be anytime soon, but it will go on my Amazon wish list um, for, you know, next time I go on a book buying binge. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. Next question. I usually reserve this for the end of the show, but seeing as you've been a writer for, for a while now, I'm going to go ahead and ask you because I know you probably have some really great advice. What is something that you would tell a brand new author, somebody who has decided they want to write a book and they haven't really started yet? And while you're talking, I'm going to go move my cat because I'm not sure what he's doing. I'll be right back. You can't see, but Pamela's having little fights with her cats. <laughs> Very amusing for me. What would I give advice? I would say just write it, get your ideas down. There's so much you can read and learn, but if you spend forever trying to learn, you'll never get paper. So just get that idea out and get it on paper. That's, that's what I would say. You can spend forever trying to get it perfect. But I would say before writing a novel, practice with short stories, um, join a critique group, a group where people can give you good feedback. Um, one that's facilitated by somebody who's a bit more professional, not just, not friends and family. Um, I started with an evening class for creative writing. I have a wonderful um, writers group around me now. We meet regularly and critique each other's work, but you need to have other writers who can give you objective, well-constructed feedback to help you improve. So I would say hone your craft on short stories before you start your novel, because you don't want to write a whole novel and then find out you can't structure a sentence. Um, or you haven't got your language, and you get your basic skills right, but don't worry about getting the plot perfect um, or the characters perfect. So it's that balance. It's having enough skills to feel confident you're ready to write the novel, but then when you write it, 
just get that first draft out and don't think it's finished because it's all about rewriting. You know, you write your first draft and then you've got something to work on. Yeah, I, I have a friend that she, um, she wrote her book. She edited her book. She sent her book to beta readers. She sent her book to me for proofreading and then sent it to, I think, another couple of beta readers after I was done proofreading. And because of the feedback that she had gotten from the beta readers, she ended up adding a lot to her book. Um, she, I think she added a total of maybe like four chapters, four or five chapters to her book. And so she's back in the editing stage because she had added, a, you know, all of the stuff to her book. And so, yeah, I completely agree with don't think it's done. I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's not done until you actually hit that publish button. And even then you might still have people come to you and say, hey, there's an issue here. Hey, there's an issue there. Um, you know, I've done that as a proofreader and, um, you know, if somebody does that, if they come to you and say, Hey, I found an issue, I really, really, really hope they're being kind about it. Um, you know, because our goal in the, the writing community and in the reading community on, especially on Twitter is, you know, our goal is to make these books the best they can be. And, you know, especially in the self-published world, self-published books have a tendency to have a bad reputation, you know, because they don't have the proofreading and they don't have the editing and they don't have, you know, this big, huge team of publishers behind them working on their book night and day. And, you know, so our goal is to make those books the best that they can be and to raise the reputation of self-published books and show the world, hey, these are, these are worth it. These are worthy books. Um, you know, I've read tons of books over the past probably year and a half that I will read through a book and I'm like, this would make an awesome movie. And, you know, and then I come across movies like remakes of Little Women and a third movie in the Bill and Ted franchise. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, there are so many books out there that would make amazing movies. And they're making remakes. And they're making reimaginings. And they're making sequels. And I'm like, but, 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 but you know, and that's just, you know, I just, I want to smack some of these movie producers sometimes because... You know, all they have to do if they want an original story is just come to the self-publishing world and they will have all of the original material that they could ever hope to have. I, I have been just bowled over by the authors that I've discovered through the writing community who are indeed authors. Um, and, and it's a shame that there's a, re a reputation um, because but I think now it's changing. So I think more and more people, even traditionally published, are going to indie publishing. And... If you do it, if you do it right, and I know it's expensive, you know, because for me, I'd worked with a wonderful editor, a structural editor, when I was working um, with my agent. Um, and when I went to do my second novel, I commissioned that same structural editor. And 
it, you know, even if you have to write it, have to keep going back and back and back to get things as good as they can be. That's what traditionally published authors do. And then when they finish going through all of that with the agent, their publisher then gets them to keep going back. I've, my friend is an um, international best-selling author, and she gets, gets, has to rewrite, rewrite, you know, keep on working on it, because if you're going to hone it and make it shine, you need to give that dedication to listening to an expert, you know, expert editors and working on it. So I, I pay for my two novels. I paid for structural edit, copy edit. I didn't pay for proofreading. I went to good proofreaders to do it, though, and also I've had my beta readers. So loads of investment in that to get it right. And it, it is costly, and you probably never do make the money back on the sales, but you've got more chance of doing so if you've got a, a professional product than if you just write something and then just throw it out there without paying any attention to getting the best it can be. But if you, yeah. people can't afford, and not everyone can afford to do that, and I understand that, but then there are wonderful people in the writing community who will share their skills. And I've been a beta reader for a number of authors, and I've got a writer friend who, when I send her my books, and she says she's doing a beta read, she does more than that. She's as good as a structural editor, and she's done an editing course, and she is so generous with her time. She's amazing. Um, and there's some absolute gems of people out there. No doubt you are, too, as a proofreader. Thank you. Yeah, I, I try to keep my, my prices inexpensive. Um, because I know that self-published authors don't have the, the big budget, you know, the, that a lot of the publishing houses do. And I, I don't want that. I want self-published books to be amazing. You know, I, I have read original story after original story and original character after original character. But then I go to the bookstore you know, and the books in the bookstore, every once in a while, you'll come across an original story, but it's rare. You know, it's like these big publishing houses that get their books into bookstores. They all follow the same formula and they, they have figured out what they think sells. And it's like, pay attention to the original stories you know, I, I proofread a book and I'm going to try to be really careful. Um, but I proofread a book, uh, a couple of months ago that was about a society that lives in the tunnels under a city. That's there's, that's their society. They're completely all underground. They only have a few people topside. It's what they call it that know about them and help them get their, get supplies and things that they need. But for the most part, they are completely self-sufficient. Super original story. Loved it. Um, and, you know, and I've come across multiple books like that. And I'm like, these books, I am so glad that these authors are taking the time and taking the resources that they need to make these books the best that they can be because I can imagine them being amazing and being really well like sellers like almost self-published bestsellers if you want to call it that mm. because they're so good mm. and you know but you'll never find a book like that in a bookstore 
because they're not know, traditionally published. No, do you know what's interesting? I read an article, I think it was in The Guardian some years back, not that long, a couple of years ago, but it, um, saying really that the way the book industry has gone, and it's typical of commercialization, it's, it goes through everything now, doesn't it? It's about you know, global globalization, commercialism, that in publishing houses, as as they've gathered together, you know, they've joined up and they've got bigger and bigger and bigger, instead of the editors leading as they did, you know, the book lovers, the literary agents, the editors, it's become much more the marketing because of the money that they're leading. And with the, the finance people leading, it's got much more about what's going to be a cert sell, what's sold before. And you notice that the books have the same words in the titles, they have the same pictures. If you don't write one that is like another one that's sold well, they don't want to know. And it, it has made, it's really reduced the variety of what's out there. And say, so who is it? It was, yeah, I was just thinking of something else. I think of a quote that David Bowie gave years ago, and I'll probably, I won't be able to quote it word for word, but it was along the lines of, lots of artists he wasn't talking about writers he was talking about artists um really good work but because of commercialization two or three you know a few of them will be picked out and raised above the others just because it makes them more valuable because if you raise them all up they wouldn't have the same value so there's also that there's picking out a few and then raising yeah. them up and there's so many good authors out there and there are so many creative ideas but we don't have they're not raising up because it's led so much by the commercial. But I suppose yeah. art's always been like that, even going back to 18th century art. You know, art is, it, there's creativity and then there's the business of selling. Um, so interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I decided a long time ago, um, well, I wouldn't say a long time ago, I, more recently um, that, you know, when I want new books for my library, I go on Amazon, I go on Kindle, I go to the self-published and the indie published because I get much better stories. You know, I'm not feeling like, you know, and even Stephen King, as good of an author as he is, a lot of his books feel like they're just repeating of, you know, repetitions of each other. Um, because, you know, his, his horror stories, you know, such as it, such as, um, dream. Oh, I can't remember what the, um, anyway, there's a dream book that he wrote or the stand, you know, those, those horror stories that he's written, those are what's sold. So that's the kind of author he is, and that's the kind of books he has to write. And so, you know, yeah, his books are good. But his more recent books, um, one that comes to mind uh, for me is The Institute. That book didn't even start getting good until about halfway through. The first half of the book, I'm like, what am I reading this for? And, you know, I'm like, but it's Stephen King. So I, I'm going to give it a chance. It's Stephen King. I'm going to give it a chance. And, you know, eventually about halfway through the book, it got better, um, but it never really reached that point of, oh my God, this is good. I have to stay up until three o'clock in the morning and finish this book. But I run into that so many times with a self-published book or an indie published book 
then I'm like, I have to stay up. I must read this book. I have to find out what happens. And, you know, and I'm like that with the books that I'm proofreading as well. You know, I stay up late proofreading because I have to know what happens. Because these books are so good. And, but they're, it's so sad that they're never going to get the recognition that they deserve because of the way that the market is. And, you know, and I think that that's a lot of the reason why you do what you do with your podcast and why, you know, why I do what I do with all of the stuff that I do, um, you know, my podcast and my blog and, um, all of that, because we need to bring recognition to these authors that have worked so hard on their books and have worked so hard on their stories and have done an amazing job with them. You know, they deserve that recognition. And no, they may never make their investment back, (laughs) but we're going to help them get as close as they can, you know. I think all, all the authors want is they just want to be read. But, you know, it's not about the money. It's about reaching an audience. And I really feel for people who are not good at marketing, don't like that side of it, and yet write amazing books because the frustration of not having them read can be so destroying. So, yeah, you're doing a good job. What um, are the book, sort of books you like to read? What's the genre you prefer? Ooh. Oh, heavens. Um <laughs> I, I tend to gravitate most toward fantasy, um, but I love the occasional women's fiction um, or relationship drama or, or whatever. <laughs> um, I do enjoy it, you know, every once in a while. Um, I enjoy a good thriller, a good mystery. Um, really, the only books um, that I tend to shy away from is I don't read a lot of romance. Um, I will read some, but it has to be like really good. <coughs> Excuse me. It has to be really good for me to put in the time for a romance book. I don't read erotica. Um, mainly because if I review an erotica book on my blog, my mom reads my blog. <laughs> <laughs> And I, you know, I'm just not up for those types of discussions, even though I'm 40 years old, I, my mom would, she would read a review on my blog and she would come straight to me and she'd be like, what are you doing reviewing that? What are you doing reading that book? Um, and so I just, I tend to stay away from erotica. Um, I do not read historical fiction. (sighs) Historical fiction it makes me want to jam my finger in my eye. It just, <laughs> I am, to all my historical fiction authors out there, I am so sorry. But it is just not, you know, historical fiction and poetry are the two genres you will never catch me reading, ever. It is just, they are not my thing. Um, for me, poetry is just, it is so subjective and, you know, when I want, when I want to read a book, I want somebody to tell me what's happening. I don't want to have to try to interpret what I think the author was talking about. I don't want to have to think that hard when I read. So, you know, poetry, I just kind of tend to stay away from poetry. Um, 
I support my poetry authors, uh, author friends on Twitter as much as I can. And when they, you know, DM me and ask me to review their book, I am, I very kindly tell them no. Um, simply because I am not, I am not the person to review your book, your, your poetry book. I am, I'm just not. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I will read a poetry book and I will probably put in my blog, okay, this book was really boring, (laughs) but I love the author, so please buy her book. (laughs) That would probably be my review of a poetry book. So it's, it's just really best that I stay away from those historical fiction and poetry. It's just best if I stay away from them. Um, but I love a good fantasy book. Um, I, you know, one that has, you know, nice, diverse characters. And, um, I love the epic fantasy where they're traveling all over the world. Um, you know, I read, um, I proofread actually one that is coming out, um, next month. And the author was actually going to be on my podcast at the end of next month to talk about it. (coughs) But I got to proofread her book and she got several mental scowls from me (laughs) because Mm -hmm. she did such a good job with her characters and how diverse they were and, um, how they, you know, how close knit they were, even as they were completely different from each other. And, um, you know, it was an epic fantasy. So she's, you know, she's got them traveling from, you know, place to place. And it was incredible. And, you know, based, you know, she has a couple of characters in her book that are based on real people, um, in her life. And so I, you know, got to kind of get to know, these people through her book and, um, the, on the 25th, I believe it is, she is opening, um, pre-orders. Let me see what date it is today. So it's the 24th. So tomorrow, starting tomorrow, uh, I think you better be... give the plug who this author is and what the book is. <laughs> I was just getting ready to do that. Um, <laughs> her name is L. Crouch, um, and her book is The 13th Zodiac. And um, pre-orders, I believe, start tomorrow, um, and then she will be publishing. She's doing the self-publishing routes. So she will be publishing, I believe, on August 13th. So definitely, 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 I cannot recommend this book enough. I talk to her all the time. I talk to her about her book all the time. Um, and she is, she's an amazing person. She has done a really good job. She has worked really, really, really hard on this book. And I think that, I think that people are, are going to notice how, how hard she's worked. And, um, you know, and I had mentioned, you know, when I first met her and started working with her, um, I had mentioned that, you know, I was like, you could get traditionally published with this book. This is like, this is really good. And her response was, I chose to self-publish because I don't want to give up creative license. I don't want somebody else telling me I have to change my book. I want to be able to keep it pure and keep it original to what I want for my book. And I think a lot of self-published authors are that way. You know, they, you know, for some, it's probably 
I self-publish because I have to. <laughs> but, you know, on the other side of that, there's a lot of self-published authors that they chose that route. You know, and... I know lots, lots that have, and I think it's becoming a more popular option as well. I think it's changing. And there are a number of traditionally published who have moved over to do self-publishing and um, hybrid authors. It's, I don't think it is a second best at all, or it's a... Yeah, it's a... I can't think of the word I want, but no, lots, lots of um, authors are choosing to indie publish. Yeah, it's not, it's not a last resort. I think that's the, the word that you were looking for. Um, yeah. You know, it's for a lot of authors, it was their first choice. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, but yet at the same time, self-published books get a bad reputation. And it's changing, though. I think it is kind of changing because there, because if you look at a self-published book, if it's got no reviews or you look at the history, but if you look at one and it, many of them have become bestsellers and you look at the number of reviews they've got, and then there's, um, I've got an Indie Bragg medallion for The Borrowed Boy and a Childwood Book Awards um, award for it. You've got awards on them. So there's lots of um, standards there that can make you think, well, this, you know, this one might be worth me investing the time in reading. And yeah. perhaps you might not read one where the authors perhaps only put one out there or two and they've got no reviews. And, and you can also see from the sample quite early on the quality of the writing. So I think... Um, I don't think that all indie indie published are getting branded with the same at the moment now. I think thing, I think attitudes are changing a bit, don't you? I do a little bit, um, and I I think that you know, like you said, I think that has a lot to do with the quality of work that is that is coming out now um, because of you know these authors making the choice to self publish. You know, they, they know their book is probably good enough to get traditionally published, but they're choosing that self-published route because they don't want to give up that that creative license. You know, they want to keep their their books as pure to their original thoughts um, and their original vision as possible. Yeah, and I know uh, a very successful author, very successful, you know, Time's bestseller author, it's a friend, who is now in a position because... Um, he's had a number of really, you know, bestsellers being pushed to write more in the same genre, and he doesn't want to. He wants to write something else, and he's told, well, you know, put being pushed into, you know, a, a position he doesn't want to be in, and doesn't want to keep on churning out more and more of the same. But there's no freedom for him to. I mean, he could do, but he would risk losing that, maybe the agent, the publisher, and you know, and, and then you have to decide. Do you want the money and the reputation or do you want to write what is in your heart that you want to write? And it comes back to your Stephen King example, when authors are pushed to keep doing more and more and more of the same beyond the point when they want to do it, you know, the quality goes down, doesn't it? It does. Um, and, you know, and like you said, um, you know, being pushed into writing the same genre, I, Daniel Steele comes to mind. Um, Nora Roberts comes to mind. You know, you become a romance author and suddenly that's all you can write. Well, what if she wanted to write a fantasy book? Um, you know, but her, she's a romance author. So her, her vision to, you know, maybe write a fantasy book is going to get kind of quelched and kind of pushed to the background. 
because that's not the kind of author she is. And that, again, is really frustrating, you know. Um, and another reason why I just absolutely love talking about the indie books and the self-published books that I read um, to help bring recognition to them you know, for these authors, because they have worked really hard on them, and, you know, they're not just sticking with the, the norm of other books in the world. I'm interested, you know, lots of people, certainly in the writing community, and of a certain age, love fantasy, and I'm older than you, and apart from Lord of the Rings, which I enjoyed when I was 15, 16, I haven't read any fantasy, it just hasn't been something that I've come across, whereas I think, you know, generate, not generations, um, but people who are younger, it's been much more um, something that they read. I think women about my age or haven't read as much fantasy, and it hasn't appealed to me, but I've met some wonderful authors in the writing community and on Friday Salon, and I'm now tempted to read their books, but I'm thinking... I'm not really a fantasy <laughs> fantasy person, so I haven't been persuaded yet. But I'm there. I'm third. I'm just on the edge of it. <laughs> I I am, you know, I am the way with books, you know, as I am with a lot of different foods. Don't knock it till you try it. Um, I have, you know, I do not enjoy historical fiction. Because I have read historical fiction and I did not enjoy it. I have attempted to, to read poetry and I did not enjoy it. So it's, you know, my choice is not to read those genres is not because, you know, I've never read them and I just don't think I would like them. Um, so that's... I've seen fantasy on TV and films. If anything like Avatar or something comes on three minutes into it, no, I can't watch this. I, I can't bear comics, I can't bear fantasy films, anything like that. Okay, let me ask let me ask you this. Did you enjoy Lord of the Rings? When I was fifteen, but I wouldn't read it now. Okay. And I, I wouldn't gonna... I enjoy the films. Couldn't watch them. Oh yeah, see and I've never read the Lord of the Rings books. I just I can't bring myself to do that. But I've seen all of the movies and I think they're amazing. Um yeah, I was actually going to recommend a, a fantasy book to kind of get you started. Um, but if you haven't read Lord of the Rings recently, um, then I think I'll wait. But, <laughs> <laughs> so if you do, if you do decide to dip your toe into the fantasy pool, um, I, I will recommend that you kind of start with the lighter books. Um, Give me a recommendation anyway. I had one from the lovely Elizabeth Holland, um, which I interviewed her on Castaway Books. She told me to try oil or water or something. Oh, uh, that that one is, it's not, it's more urban fantasy. It's not, you know, my, my idea of fantasy is, you know, you've created a whole new race of people and you've created a whole new world and, um, but I have a series that I just absolutely loved. I've read the first three books. Um, it's the Queen's Alpha series by W.J. May. Um, and I think I read all three uh, books that I have 
in like four days because wow. they were so good. But they're but they're on the lighter side. Um, you know, yeah, you have your conflict and yeah, you have you know your characters at death's door and you know all of that. But they're they're on the easier side. They're not deep. They're not um, dark. Um, they're they're definitely more on the lighter side. So um, I would definitely recommend um, if you're wanting to start with fantasy, start with something light uh, like her books. And then, of course, let me know what you think. Um, <laughs> I would love that for that. Try. I belong to a book club um, in my local bookstore, and I've read all sorts of things that I never thought I would try. So why not try this as well? It's good for you to stretch beyond your comfort zone with reading. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do my best um, with, and, you know, with books that I choose to read. Um, and, you know, and I, I call myself the picky bookworm for a reason <laughs> because, you know, while I try to kind of stretch my wings and, and try to move into other books that I wouldn't normally read, I don't promise I'm going to like them. <laughs> I, I will attempt to read your book, but I don't promise I'm going to like it. Um, because I am so picky about what I read, you know, I, I tell people, and I think I mentioned it in my podcast last week, I like my book smart and my movies dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, I want to read a book and have, you know, not really have to think overly hard about what's going on, but at the same time, I want the book to teach me something. You know, I, I want the language to not be overly simplified, um, you know, and I, I want to finish the book and be like, ah, I finished it. You know, I, I want to have that sense of accomplishment when I finish the book, um, you know, and, you know, when I'm watching a movie, I just want stuff to blow up <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> You know, people getting kidnapped and, you know, buildings blowing up. And, you know, those are the kinds of movies that I like. Um, but I like my, my books to be a little bit more on the on the smart escapist side. So, <laughs> uh, so are you um, a book blog, you know, book blogging? Do you, have, do you, you are obviously a book blogger, but does that take up lots of your time? It does not, um, mainly because I don't work on it as much as I should. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have, I have tried to post at least one review a week and things come up and, um, you know, and I am really tempted to move my reviews over to the podcast. Um, and, you know, but at the same time, if I did that, then my website would, only have like proofreading and you know all of that on there and I'm like people need to be able to go to my website and find other stuff you know other than just hey come pay me money <laughs> for me to read your book you know I just I don't think that's fair so um while I have considered moving book reviews to the podcast I don't think I will I think I will continue to um to keep them on the blog and just do my best to get them out as, as much as I can and as quickly as possible. 
and also authors like them to be on Amazon, don't they? Goodreads. And... Um, they do, um, and I actually have several books on my blog that I need to go transfer over to um, Amazon um, just so that they'll be there, you know. Um, but for the most part, if it's a book that I've bought, I probably won't review on Amazon. I will probably just review it on my blog. Um, but if it's one that an author has sent me a free copy of their book, um, then I try to at least, at the very least, um, go over to Amazon and say, hey, I have a review on my website. Please check it out here, you know, at the very mm -hmm. least. So, um, you know, to give people an opportunity to read what other people have, you know, what others' thoughts are on that book. Mm. <clears throat> yes, book blog, blog is a, um, an asset to authors. I've been so um, indebted and grateful to all the wonderful book bloggers who've been on my blog tours and with my, both of my novels. They've been fabulous, really helpful. I, you know, and on, <laughs> when I started my blog, I actually didn't know that book blogging was a thing. Um, okay. I, I had not met any other book bloggers. Um, I hadn't been on Twitter. Um, and, you know, I basically just wanted a review, what's, you know, a review blog where I okay. just talked about the books I was reading. And, you know, then when I made the decision to join Twitter and got my first email from a, an author saying, hey, will you review my book? I, <clears throat> I could have sworn I had made it. <laughs> and I, my website was just going to blow up. <laughs> and, um, you know, no, it has not worked out that way. But um, at the same time, through that experience, and through working with those authors and, and making friends with them and, you know, talking to them on Twitter, I have found something so much more than a successful, quote-unquote, blog. You know, I, I have some really great friends. Um, and, you know, it's just been, it's just been wonderful. It's been amazing. So, we do not have much time left, Deborah. So I am going to um, quickly get um, to my last question. Uh, this is usually the last one that I ask everybody, um, especially the authors. What is something that you want to say to book reviewers? To book reviewers, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. If we didn't have book reviewers, um, authors would find it very hard to be seen and their voices heard through their books. So really grateful to book reviewers. Um, I, th I think pe people who professionally review books do so in um, a kind and supportive way. They're honest, but what I, what I really don't like, I think actually... I don't think these are book reviewers. I think these are some fiendish people that go on and just give one star with no comment. And a few authors have talked about this sort of sneaking in. I don't think they're book reviewers. I think they're just um, mischief makers, actually. But book Probably. reviewers... <laughs> book reviewers are great. And I try and review every book I read. And that was what I meant to do. But as time has gone on, I just haven't managed it. Um, so when people do take the time to review a book and write it up, I think all authors are very grateful because the feedback is helpful. Even if it, even if you don't love it and it's a three star or two star, 
just getting feedback is just really helpful. As, so lo as long as it's helpful feedback. You know, exactly. Don't, you know, my, and, you know, I, I got into a discussion with somebody um, on Twitter who was defending people's rights to leave a one-star rating with no feedback, and I will never agree with that. Um, yeah. You know, she, this, I don't remember who it was, this was a while ago. Um, but she and I will never, she and I will never agree on, um, why, you know, her, her thought was, you know, well, reviews on Amazon are not for the authors, they're for other readers. And so if somebody leaves a one star, that means they didn't like the book. And, you know, my, my thought is, I, I get what you're saying, that reviews are for other readers. You know, readers need to be able to go and find out if this is the book they're going to like, but at the same time, if you're rating a book one star, that would be for the author because the author would need to know, okay, why is this one star? Is there something that I can do and something that I can change to raise your opinion of this book? Or like you said, are you just being a mischief maker? <laughs> are, you just coming, are you just coming on here to start trouble? I don't think it's helpful to readers either because if you put one star, you could say, because this isn't the sort of book I would normally read or this isn't like, to my taste, fine, you know, but give them a reason why because you might give one star to a historical novel just because you don't like historical novels. I love historical novels. And I, you know, so if you said, I don't normally read historical novels, thought I'd give it a try, one star, didn't like it. I might do the same thing about a fantasy, but at least give the reader some idea why, you know, yeah. it's not helpful to anyone to just go, nah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I completely agree. Um, and we are almost at a time. This was so fun, Deborah. Uh, thank you so much for coming and visiting with me. Um, I will include a link to Castaway Books um, on uh, in my show notes. And if you have a website or a blog, if you will send me that link um, as well, I will make sure that people have that available. Um, other than that, we are about out of time. So thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Properly. Lovely to meet you too. I'll talk Bye. to you soon. Bye. Bye, Pamela.